What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk, get vaccinated. But But nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Welcome to All the Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and Our Heart Radio in partnership with Showtime. Welcome back, man. Season two of All the Smoke. We got a real special guest. What's up with your Brody with the virtual handshake? I'm going to tell y'all something that I never told nobody. I want All the Smoke. Welcome back to another edition of All the Smoke. Jack, what's good? What's up, my bro? How you doing out there? You feeling better? Man, I can't call. Yeah, man, I just had to slow my ass down. Luckily, I got COVID tested. I didn't have COVID. It just, the doctor said I was dehydrated. I needed to rest. So I rested, got my fuel back up. Now we're back in action, man. What's going on with you? That's what happens when you've been a good dad, man. The boy's dragging you right now. Man, everywhere, all over the place, man. Anyway, we got a, man, a special guest. Someone I saw firsthand the Lynn Sanity experience and my Laker team, our, our Laker team went out to LA and he busted our ass. But man, welcome <laughs> to the show, Jeremy Lynn. What's up, Lynn bro? Sanity. Not much. Thanks for having me, guys. It's gonna be fun. No, thanks exciting, for being man. Here, bro. How you been? Everything good? Yeah, everything's good. I'm just in the Bay. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in the Bay. I'm in Palo Alto, just staying in shape. Yeah, I finished the G League season, but since then, just kind of. Waiting for, hoping for an NBA call up. Uh, there's, you know, there's a week left right now. Um, yeah. So that. Till the day. How, wait, so how old are you now? I'm 32. Okay. So yeah, you definitely still got some time left. How did the G League season go? I went well for us. We finished second. Um, and then for me, it was nice. I finished, uh, finished seventh in scoring in the league, fourth in assists, and then, uh, you know, top in, in the shooting in shooting efficiency. So it was good for me. Um, really good for me. Got career highs from the field 
and three and free throw. So that's something I've just been working on is my shot, just trying to get it better. Um, you know, when we played, uh, <laughs> when we played it, played it eight, nine years ago, uh, you guys were all backing up, sagging off, forcing me to shoot. So uh, hopefully I've come a long way since then. Hey, well, you definitely took advantage of that shit. Anyway, let's get started. Uh, you know, born and raised in uh, Palo Alto. Talk to us about your childhood. And, uh, you know, I heard your mom was really tough on academics, but, you know, let you play basketball, and then you definitely excelled in that. But talk to us about your upbringing. Um, yeah, I grew up in, in Northern California, and to some degree, uh, it's a little bit of a bubble uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, I like you said, uh, for me, if it wasn't straight A's, I wasn't playing basketball. So uh, you made sure I was getting, I was, I was getting straight A's. Um, that was kind of just a family rule. And uh, and besides that, you know, uh, my it's interesting. Like my parents growing up, they were uh, traditional in some sense, you know. So I did the whole piano, violin, and, and and all these different things that every immigrant, Asian immigrant kid was doing. But then at the same time, they were really unique too because they. They saw that me and my brothers, we just loved basketball. And so they actually let us do it. And they spent all, basically all the money they were making was to go towards the house mortgage or like AAU basketball and stuff like that. Yeah. And so they got a lot of, uh, you know, they got a lot of crap and they were constantly like, you know, their friends, other Asian immigrants were like, why would you do this? Why would you spend all that money? That's crazy. Like that's, and so they actually had to go through a lot just to even peer pressure, just to say, right. no, look, our children love it. And, and this is what we're going to do. And, and back then for Asian immigrant families, I was like ridiculous. Like it was crazy. And then next thing you know, um, I got a chance to play, play in high school and, and go on to Harvard. By the time I made it to Harvard, you know, a lot of people were like, wait, so what other sports? What other sports can we have our kids start playing so that they can make it to Harvard too? Um, so it was a really cool role reversal. But right. that was kind of what it was like. It was like I had, you know, primarily a white school and then I had my Asian church and then I had like my basketball, which were primarily all black friends and teammates. And so it was a, it was a really unique experience for sure. Where did your love of basketball come from? My dad, so like when he came over, um, he came over while he was, uh, he had just graduated from college. Then he came over to uh, ODU, Old Dominion, Virginia. And as he was just turning, you know, turning the channels on TV, he saw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and he fell in love with the Skyhook. I swear, I couldn't even make this up. It's the most random story, but he just fell in love with the Skyhook and he would go to the park and just work on it for like two to three hours a day. And he the never played in a pickup game. The skyhook huh? in general? Just the skyhook? Yeah, just the skyhook. <laughs> I mean, dude, if you, I'm, I'm serious. If you watch him play, like, he'll turn down an open layup and then do a whole little, like, 180 into the skyhook because it's a higher, higher, like, accuracy shot for him. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. And so That's he, like, crazy. worked on that for three years and then he started to play pickup. And then once we had kids, once he had kids and we had, you know, me and, and my older brother and younger brother, it was just basketball all day, every day. That's dope. So does he still shoot the skyhook to this day? Oh, for sure. He's always, you'll find him at, you'll find him at your local, uh, <laughs> your local uh, senior rec center or, or, or at the 24-hour YMCA coming your way with the, with the G-Ming skyhook. So he definitely cool. does that and, and, uh, and still plays. Yeah, that's funny as hell. Who were you watching play as a kid? Who inspired you besides your dad? To be honest, the the only player, um, like, so my brother, my older brother was always my role model. But in terms of actually, like, a role model of a player, 
like the only person that I would say like genuinely inspired me and was a huge role model was Jordan. Um, and, and I, as I got older, I, I, I had different bits and pieces because my game's nothing like Jordan. I can't do uh, 90% of the things Jordan does. And so I started watching a ton of other players, but in terms of the, the journey and, and the inspiration, like I did all my book reports if I could on, on Jordan. And, and actually that's the crazy thing is like, I actually really looked up to a, a lot of uh, black athletes growing up, especially in the basketball world, but even like in boxing or other, other sports to me, I drew a lot from minorities, but it was never really Asian minorities. Um, and it wasn't until Yao, uh, Yao came and he was playing in the Bay um, and I remember at that time, we didn't have that much money growing up, but we, we were just like, me and my older brother, like, mom, dad, you have to go let us watch Yao. And so we got $11 nosebleeds at, at Oracle, the, the OG arena in Oakland. And then we, and then we snuck down at halftime to the lower level and we were just like loving it. Um, but you know, Yao was not necessarily inspirational in the sense that I felt like I could be coming cause he was seven, six and he was a center, but it was more just like also seeing another Asian that, right. you know, an Asian on the later. NBA floor kind of opened my mind up a little bit, but from the jump, it was always MJ. So like you said earlier, you know, you were, you were lucky enough to, 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 to play basketball in high school and actually really made a name, um, upset nationally ranked modern day, uh, player of the year talk to us about your high school experience and kind of was it an eye-opening experience or did you always feel like you belong you know I never when I was in middle school I didn't even know if I would play in high school you know when I was, I was my freshman year in high school I was five foot three uh half the girls in school were taller than me and I was just <laughs> seriously I was like I was the skinniest little if you look up if you look up my my pictures in, in high school like I was like this toothpick like, like I was so skinny I couldn't I couldn't do one pull-up like I literally couldn't do a pull-up um but I just knew how to play the game and so it you know my body didn't really develop until I got to college and I started lifting and that's when I started getting really explosive uh but prior to that like I didn't expect to be great in high school like I knew I was always one of the better kids in the area but again I never had that like I never had that like belief like oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to high school, I'm going to kill. And then in high school, I'm going to go to college. I never, and again, the Asian immigrant experience, it's like the fact that I was playing in high school, I was celebrated like I was playing in the NBA. It's like, dude, he's Asian. He plays on his high school team. Like back then That's it was that step. crazy. That's a big yeah. step, right? Yeah. Right. That's dope. So your senior year, uh, you lead Palo Alto to 32-1 record. Um, upset, like I said, modern day by four to win the Division II state title. A bunch of accolades come with that. When did you kind of start realizing that, okay, well, I did what I was supposed to do in high school. College is an opportunity now. Yeah, I mean, you know, the recruiting experience was crazy, man. Like, I was, I had to make my own tape. I sent it to a bunch of teams. I couldn't even get Division three schools to look at me. Um, like, I was trying to get Division three schools to just give me a chance, and they wouldn't even take the call. Um, so Harvard was really the only school that wanted me. It was Harvard in D1 and then MIT in D3. No other schools really like wanted me to go play there. And Harvard can't, you know, they're in the Ivy League, so they can't give athletic scholarships. And so I was like, look, mom, like, I got to go. I, I just want to play basketball. I have to go to Harvard um, to go play basketball. Because for me, like, I didn't, Harvard was, you know, I mean, academics was never like my passion. So it was like, 
I didn't want to, I actually wanted to go to Stanford. I wanted to play in the Pac-10 at the time. And I wanted to hoop with like a, in a better conference. But, um, but then I kind of decided like between the two schools, I was like, I can't go to D3. I was like, it doesn't matter which D1, I just need a chance. Give me a chance to go compete at the highest level, which is division one. Give me a chance and I'll do the rest in terms of like, I'll see how good I can get and I'll see what can happen. And if not, I always have that degree to fall back right. on. Well, I mean, speaking of Harvard, obviously that's a tremendous honor on the academic side. You made it work for basketball, but how hard was it balancing that kind of workload and being a student athlete? Because I know at UCLA, I mean, it's nothing like the workload you probably got at Harvard, and that shit was tough. Um, that was probably because I didn't go to class very much, but outside of that, when I did go to class, that shit was tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my brother and sister-in-law uh, both went to UCLA, and so I would visit my brother at UCLA, and that was my dream school. That, that was my dream school. And uh, and I really, really, really want to go there, man. We used to poop at Wooden until 2 a.m. Yeah. We'd go to Puzzles, grab the clam chowder bread bowls and yes, do the whole thing. And, and uh, we would I would go with him to class. And uh, But no, Harvard was a whole different level. Like when I got there, I remember I almost got put on probation my first year. Um, I had like a C minus and a C and some B minus. Like, and, uh, you know, you get put on probation if you get a D. And that's when I realized like, what I was going, what I thought was education, this is a whole different level. Like you right. can study as hard as you want, but like, you know, like when you hoop, sometimes there's just guys where it's like, they just have it. It doesn't matter how much you train, it doesn't matter how much, like they just have something different. And that's what it was like for everybody in the classroom. I was like, dude, I know the, I know the textbook. I did the test and the homework, I did the readings. And these dudes are just at a different level. And mm -hmm. um, I ended up, you know, I found my way. I, I got my GPA up to a 3.1 by the by my senior year. I got my first A. Uh, my second semester senior year, I got my first A in a class at Harvard, and uh, that just goes to show. Like, I had a 4.2 GPA in high school, but in Harvard, it was just a whole right. different beast. So, um, yeah, it really was eye opening. Like, wow, these guys are are really geniuses. Mm -hmm. So you grind, you put in the work, you say in college is the first time you start lifting weights so your body starts filling out, you get your athleticism. What is it like in that process becoming a star over at Harvard? Because they're not really obviously known for turning out basketball players. Yeah, and that's why I never felt like a star. Um, seriously, <laughs> I, I, I never did. I never did because, you know, people didn't care, right? Like, I, right. even when I was at Harvard, I would tell people, they'd be like, oh, so what do you like that? I was like, oh, I play basketball. They're like, I was like, I'm on the basketball team. And they'd be like, intramuros? Um, or, or they'd be like, oh, I didn't know we had a basketball team. No, I'm serious. Okay, uh, even like, I told my professor in my English class, I was like, hey, I have to, I can't make this class because I need to go, to, I have a game. I'm playing the basketball team. And he's like, oh, like, should you just tell your coach? Um, which games you can and can't go to because, you know, like uh, we have we have class every Friday and if you miss two, you get kicked out the class for, for good. And so it was just like a very different experience. So I never felt like a star. I never right. felt like I was, you know, a lot to go to the NBA or even play professionally. Like it wasn't until my assistant coach, Kenny Blakeney, who, you know, he was a McDonald's All-American and, um, and, and played at Duke with Grant Hill. But he was the one who was like, look, man, you can you can make it to the NBA. Mm. Um, and he's the one who put that belief in me. What, what was the vibe like in Boston and uh, slash Cambridge? What was the vibe like out there? Um, it was crazy. I mean, they have like, I don't know how many, like 30 universities in that small area. Um, for me, um, back then, like, I had like no money. So I never left campus. Um, even just to like go to downtown Boston, you had to get on the T and you had to pay, you know, a couple bucks and that wasn't even worth it to me. Um, 
And so I, I didn't really know anything about Boston. I just knew Cambridge. I just knew my my school. And, and it was just like, I knew all the deals. So it was like, okay, you know, on Wednesday, you might go to Qdoba or, oh no, it's Monday. So like you could get a $6 large pizza. So I just kind of knew that little Harvard bubble, um, but I didn't know anything about the greater area. Yeah, I like the I like the grind though. Uh, just announced you'll be addressing the class of 2021 on their virtual graduation. What kind of honor is that for you? Uh, it was, I mean, it's intense because you know when they sent over the invitation first of all, I was like, no, like me, um, <laughs> like again, like uh, I just wasn't expecting it. And then they sent over the list, and then they're like, oh yeah, you you know amongst the class day speakers, you know, there's. There's Al Gore, Hank Aaron, Joe Biden, Mother Teresa. And I was like, oh, man, I'm definitely not speaking now. Like, this is not <laughs> normally you read that list and it like encourages you to speak. I was like, absolutely not. Um, and then, you know, my uh, my sister-in-law was like, dude, this is an honor. Um, she talked me into doing it. And my, and my sorry, and my college coach, Coach Amaker, was also like, you really should do it. And so I, I just felt like it was something that like. Look, I won't be the most educated, but I can share from my heart, and that's what I'm going right. to do. Your right. journey, your story is inspiring, so that's definitely something to share. So congratulations that's on enough. that. So 2010, um, you unfortunately go undrafted. Talk about the process from going undrafted to ending up playing uh, for an opportunity for your hometown team, the Warriors. I mean, that was, you know, uh, I remember when I didn't get drafted, uh, my, my agent, Roger Montgomery, basically said, look, you have five games in summer league. Uh, you either make it happen or you don't. But, like, if you want to get to the NBA, it's got to be here in the summer league. Yeah. And this is where something for me, like, faith has always been a big part of it. But I was injured, and then, like, right before the summer league training camp started, like, the day before, um, I got cleared by the doctor. And then on top of that, at that time, I was playing for the Mavs, and they had their last two picks for their last two years was Roddy Dubois at point guard and Dominique Jones at shooting guard. And so I was kind of just like barely getting any time and in practice or, or in the games. And then all of a sudden, in our fourth game, uh, Roddy Dubois got hurt. So that's why I ended up playing in the whole fourth quarter. And we were playing against John Wall, who was the number one pick. Mm -hmm. And that's the, you know, and I got to go head to head with them. And, and um, that's the only reason, you know, I had played pretty well. They ended up winning, but uh, that's the reason why I got the contract. And so to come home to Golden State, I mean, uh, you know, you guys know uh, what it's like to play in the base. So uh, it, it was just a different level. Um, it, it killed me, to be honest. Like, I wasn't expecting it. Like, the, the anxiety and the, the pressure, it killed me my rookie year. Like, I didn't know how to handle it. Just playing at home and everybody, every day, just, like, hitting me up or, or just, like, focused in on what I was going to do, which was nothing my rookie year. Well, you hit on something that I think is interesting, and now it's obviously more talked about, and we're going to dive in deep into it later, but... Let's just hit it now. You've gone through some interesting phases in your life where you're at the top of the mountain, drop down, get back to the top of the mountain, fall a little bit, get back up there. You had to seek outside counseling um, to kind of find out how to manage the ups and downs and everything that came with this. Um, considering we're in Mental Health Awareness Month uh, right now, talk to us about you know that journey and that process and how that's helped you. Yeah, the biggest thing for me was... Um, you know, I, from a young age, I was this like crazy bull dreamer. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I always had the biggest dreams, the biggest visions and, and I would go for it. And then, 
And then it wasn't, you know, two years ago I went after, so I had won the championship in Toronto. Um, and then that off season, I didn't get a contract. And so I went overseas to play in China. When I went to China, I was like the guy uh, in terms of like, like the LeBron or the Steph of that league in, mm -hmm. the, in the CBA. And I had the ball in my hands and everything. And, it, and even though I was playing well, we were on one of the top teams, like, and everything looked good on paper, in my mind, I was just like, I was scared. And, and I was like, where is this stuff coming from? Like, I was sometimes in the fourth quarter, I would be like, oh no, I, I hope that, uh, I hope that I don't shoot the last shot because what happens if I miss? Or, oh, I hope the coach doesn't put me in because, you know, what happens if I lose a game or, or the pressure? And, and I was just like, what is going on with me? And this was coming off of two straight years of injury in Brooklyn when I had, like, the perfect opportunity. I was a starting player. I was, the, you know, the, considered the franchise player. I was in Kenny Atkinson's system. Like, it was everything that I, was, I felt like I was supposed to continue with the New York Knicks. And then I ended up getting two straight seasons of injury. And, and what I didn't realize, I recovered physically, but I didn't recover mentally. Yeah. And so I started to think, like, everything is just a setup for a disappointment. Um, every situation is going to end terribly. Or, and I couldn't, like, process what was happening with me or what had happened to me. And so I got outside help to work through a lot of my traumas. I actually got to a point where I reconciled with a lot of people. I started making calls to all the people that I felt like hurt me, coaches, general managers, former players. Some of them hit me back. Some of them didn't, didn't hit me back. But the ones that didn't, I had like, it, I had to visualize, you know, that was one of the things I had to visualize the reconciliation, what it would look like, what it would sound like. And, that, and, and he kept telling me, you have to get beyond your past if you want to get to where you want to get to in your future. And that was the biggest thing for why you know, for me in the G League, why I shot career highs and everything, why I was top in the league is in all these things. I had done a bunch of things I never did before was because I had been free mentally. And it was a long process. I mean, it was a journey. It was, it was, a, it was a tough, tough process. Well, it's crazy to think about it because obviously when you went on your ran and kind of made your mark in the NBA, you were hitting game winners at Madison Square Garden. You were, hit, you were doing all the biggest things that everyone dreams of, but then... Fast forward to a situation, and it kind of sounds like injuries played a part. Injuries put a lot of doubt in your mind. So now you're in the, you know, the, 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 the Chinese league trying to get back, and you're doubting yourself, obviously, when you're one of the best players over there. So that, that's how powerful the mind is. It's kind of crazy sometimes. Uh, growing up, one of my coaches always told me, uh, he played professional baseball, and he told me the game is 90% mental. And I was like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, but I realized at the elite level, at the professional level, like everybody has the skills. It's like the dude who can shoot seven times and miss all seven and not care and shoot the eighth. Like mm. that's the guy who is different than the guy who misses his first three and then like is like, oh, I'm playing it safe from here. Like there's so much in the mind I couldn't mm. even begin to go into. You guys all know, but for everybody else who may listen, it's like there's so much power in the mind. No, it's crazy too, cause I'm I'm I've been coaching my kids since I retired, so I got them at like eight, just turning nine, and you know now they're twelve, and that's what I'm trying to instill. Like the most important is next. The mind is most the most important thing. Like it's because that shit is powerful, and it, it's never really been discussed, but it's always kind of been known. And now, I, like I said, I love the fact that people are talking about it because these conversations obviously help the people we talk to, but then are also going to encourage and motivate other people to seek the help they need if necessary. So I think they're obviously very important. Uh, but back to this, uh, the warrior opportunity. What did that warrior opportunity 
outside of stress you had a lot of your rookie year kind of set you up to do, though? Um, you know, it, it made me believe I was uh, – it made me believe I could do it. Um, and I remember right when the season ended, at that time, we didn't know it was going to turn into a documentary. It was just going to be this little YouTube thing. And uh, at the end of that season, we we're going to the lockout. And so I was like, oh, there's going to be a ton of time. We'll start filming a little YouTube thing. And in that YouTube, like after the season, I sat down and I said to, straight to the camera, and it's now in, in my documentary, but I said, like, I'm going to become a rotation player. I'm going to be a starting point guard, and then I'm going to win a championship. And, and even though I played terrible, like the one thing for me that I've always, like I've never come in, and maybe it's an Asian thing in terms of how I was raised, maybe it was always coming in and just being like completely disrespected growing up as an Asian, like no one ever wanted to hoop with me, no one ever wanted to choose me, no one ever thought anything of me, but I always walked into situations trying to feel it out. I never came into a situation being like, I'm about to destroy all these guys. And so I came into the NBA and I was like, I'm going to feel it out. I'm going to see if I belong. And that's the last thing you can do when you get to the NBA. If you're wondering whether you belong, it's over for right. you. It's too late. And so for, for me, my rookie year, the biggest thing it taught me was I was like, you know what? I took a year to feel it out. I went down to the D League at that time. I killed in the D League like, oh, I'm doing it. I can do it. And, and that's what it taught me, but I didn't get to show it. What was Steph like back then? It was tough, man. At that time, it wasn't really about Steph. Like, the team was about David Lee, Monte Ellis, um, and, and Darrell Wright had, had a breakout year. And Steph, at that time, like, in his second year, was just, like, he was getting benched a lot. Um, and he talked about it, right? He was like, I was getting benched for, for certain players that, like, you, you know, you wouldn't even recognize who they were anymore. Right. But he was really going through it. And he was kind of, you know, getting jerked back and forth in terms of like playing time, his leash. And I felt terrible for him because I was like, even through it all, you're still averaging like, I don't know, 18 points, 20 points or something like that. But it just felt like he was a scapegoat in a lot of ways. And and then on top of that, he started to struggle with his ankle. And so it was a really tough year for him. But he was always like, man, he was always you never could tell he was anybody like he never treated himself above anybody else. That's the biggest mm -hmm. thing that I had learned from him and his love for the game. His love for the game was really contagious. Like you just knew this dude loves playing basketball. And then, you know, two years, two years after he was still struggling with ankle injuries. And then after that was when it was just like, oh, okay, he just revolutionized the game. What happened? Mm. Mm -hmm. It's crazy because you remember early on, I don't know if you remember, but I mean, the the the, the fan base went crazy when they decided that Steph, uh, Steph was going to be the, the man they were going to build around, and they traded Monte, and then like you said, to mm -hmm. here, and then he was thrown in a lot of trade rumors early on to to get him out of Golden State. To so to hear his beginning and and to where he's at now is just like it's almost night and day, but it, it, it's dope to see because like you said, he believed, he's humbled, and worked hard and, and, and overcame and became one of the greatest point guards we've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was, it was, it's incredible. It, it was cool to see. And, and for me, even like Monte, I love Monte, you know, like, and he was amazing. And him and Steph were really cool with each other, but the media kind of, you know, pit them against each other. And, and, and yep. Tay always treated all of us like super well. So, um, I mean, I, you know, it just sucks that it kind of was that, that, that breakup was seen as that. Yeah, right. no, it's because Monte was the, shit, the last from our. I mean, you know, Monte was the last survivor from, from our team. 
You know yeah. what I mean? And, and and was really playing well. So, and I heard that too. I heard that him and Steph actually did get along, but they tried to put them against each other. So for you to be there and see that and, and feel that too, that's unfortunate. Um, let's jump back. Uh, you know, obviously the Warriors have a tremendous and have for a long time Asian fan base. Um, what mm-hmm. was it like for you? Although, you know, obviously your first season didn't go as you planned. Um, I'm sure there was still a lot of love for you. What was it like at that time? Because, I mean, you think a handful of it, five years ago you were playing high school in Palo Alto, you know, high school basketball in Palo Alto. Now you're a Golden State Warrior. What was that like for you? It was so crazy. Like, I couldn't even... I was just so happy about it. And and then once the season started, it was like everything that I thought it was about, like, got flipped upside down. And and it's weird because every time I check in a game, like, I remember, like, if the team was up 10 in the fourth, I'd be like, okay, I hope the other team comes back so I don't get put in. That's how nervous I was because every time I would get put in the game, there was a standing O. And every time I touched the ball, the crowd would be like, ooh, you know? And it got to the point where I didn't know like, what to do. You know, I was catching the ball. I would catch the ball, shoot a three, and it would be an air ball. And everybody would be like, oh. You know, like, I just had no, I had no confidence. In the, and, and that's the thing is, like, I had always been the biggest underdog my whole life. Like, always under the radar, whether it's in high school, whether it's in college. Every story, every article is like, where, who is this guy and where did he come from? All of a sudden, people knew about me and were expecting big things. I didn't know how to handle it. Like, I had no idea how to handle it. And and I struggled with it in terms of, like, it was almost like you went from underdog to being, like, the target on your back that everyone's coming after. Like, I don't want to let this Asian dude embarrass me. Yeah, that happened even in practice, you know, where it was just like, oh, shoot, like, I'm matching against Jeremy. Like, I better make sure he doesn't get a bucket. No, that's the shit that happened in real games. I remember shit we put. Right. I mean, we'll get there, but... Actually, we'll just get there. Let's wait. We'll get there. If I'm not mistaken, you played in that um, We Believe versus the Dubs um, lockout game, didn't you? Yeah, I did. That's right. Man, that game was so long ago. But yeah, I remember you played, I think, a young Steph played. Didn't Steph play too? Yeah, yeah. yeah they had like Steph. CJ Watson and a few others. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. David, yeah, that was dope. That, uh, I need to watch. I, I saw some footage of that game, man, maybe like six months ago, and it was. I I want to say it was about Steph, but I had just breezed through. But I need to check it out because that game was lit. That fucking gym was packed. That was a good ass game. Jack, you missed. It. You must have been busy. <laughs> yeah, I missed it. Are you all about the NBA action? You've got to try Pick Six, the newest fantasy app from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers can earn a 100% instant deposit matchup to $100 in Pick 6 credits when you deposit $5 or more. Getting started is simple. Just download the DraftKings Pick 6 app and sign up with code ATS. Pick at least two players and choose if they'll have more or less of a stat. Like will they score more or less than 30 points? Or have more or less than 8 assists? Lock them in and compete against others for a shot at huge cash prizes. Download the DraftKings Pick 6 app now and get started with code ATS. New customers can earn a 100% instant deposit matchup to $100 in Pick 6 credits when you deposit $5 or more. Only on DraftKings Pick 6 with code ATS. The crown is yours. One offer per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit to receive a match of up to $100 in Pick 6 credits. Non-withdrawable and valid for Pick 6 use only. Expire after 180 days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. 
Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself, but we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. <laughs> uh, let's talk about how you end up landing in New York uh, with the Knicks. So, you know, first day, first day of camp. Um, and I'm like, I'm saying I'm, I'm having a great practice. I'm playing way better than people thought. The whole lockout for nine straight months, I worked out three times a day by myself for nine straight months. Like I'm saying, no, there are no breaks, nothing. Like it was clockwork. And so I came out the gates and I was killing in the first practice and halfway through, they're like, hey, you gotta go upstairs. I'm like, what? So I go upstairs and they're like, hey, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna cut you because we're gonna extend an offer sheet at that time to DeAndre Jordan. They didn't even get him. So I ended up getting cut for, for an offer sheet, I guess. Um, but then Houston picks me up and, um, and then I get there and there's five point guards. And so I'm just like, why Who am I? There? You know, I Who else is they, there at that time? They had Johnny Flynn, Goran Dragic, uh, Kyle Lowry, um, and then and then me, and then two other guards, point guards that were like that ended up getting cut as well. But basically, like they were like, "Wow, you played so well. We want to keep you, but we have 15 guaranteed spots. Just chill for a sec. We're gonna try to we're gonna try to trade somebody." Um, and so they're trying to trade people, but no one would pick it at that time. They're trying to get rid of. I think it was Johnny Flynn. Uh, that's what my agent told me, but then I guess that that fell through, and so they ended up cutting me on Christmas, mm. and that's you know two days before or a day before is when Iman Shumper got hurt with the Knicks, and so the Knicks mm. picked me up because they had liked my my pre draft workout and they liked what I did in the D League, and so I went out to the Knicks and I was just like, man, if I get cut again, it's over for me for professional basketball. Like I can't continue to go through this roller coaster of like the emotions and the anxiety and, and, and all of that. And so I was really at my end. Um, I was really, really, really close to my end. And, and when my breakout came, game came against the Nets when I was with the Knicks, like that was the last game. That was a week before the deadline. And that was the last game of a back to back to back. In the lockout season, like there was only, yeah. that was the only time we had three in a row. And we only had mm-hmm. one back to back to back. And it was, it was a week before the deadline. And that's why they put me in there. Like, let's just give this guy a shot before we cut him. 
And that's how, that's how it happened. And that's why I'm like, man, I'm like, the whole thing is a miracle from God. Like I can't even, I can't even deny it. Yeah. Well, you go on one of the most historical runs, um, some would say in history, um, started with that game, but just talk to me where you kind of start getting your confidence. And then obviously you see your swag go up because the game is, is going for you. You're doing this all in front of, you know, the Mecca or in the Mecca, uh, you know, New York, just talk to us what that experience went by from like, damn, if I get cut again, I'm done to like, holy shit. Like they're saying my name around the world now. I mean, it was, you know, I, I always felt like, look, I can help because every time they would put me in for garbage minutes, I would do really well because it was, again, it was D'Antoni's system. It was like a billion pick and rolls and as much space as you possibly could get. Then they sent me down to the, to the D League and I played one game and I had like, a 26 point triple double or something like that. And so I was like, okay, like, I think I'm ready. Like all that work that was put in, I think I'm ready, but I couldn't get the chance, but I wasn't expecting to do what I did. Like I was just ready to be like a solid backup 12 minutes a game type of guy. But then when everything happened, I was just like, I mean, it goes back to the mental piece. Like, you're asking, like, what was it like? Dude, I don't know what it was like because it was blur. It's like when you have your 30-point games, 40-point games, like, it was like, you don't even remember them. Like, at some point, you don't even know how many points you have anymore. You're just in the zone, right? And it just, it's flowing. And that's, like, the, that's, like, the the pinnacle of what each person and player wants to be uh, in terms of their mental headspace, where it's just, like, I'm not thinking. It's all instincts, and I'm just... I'm just doing what I know how to do. And it's it's muscle memory at that point. And that's what those games felt like for me. It was just like, dude, I don't know what's happening. Like after the game, I would go back. And at that time, I was still staying on my brother's couch. But I would be like, screenshot. I'd be like, I'm on ESPN. <laughs> oh, like, dude, screenshot. I got to save it. I got, you know, like I was just so not used to it. Right. And I was just sitting on the couch. I was like, dude, I can't believe I just scored 25 points against a great team. And, I, and now I'm coming back to the couch. And I'm like, and there's like half the couch is folded clothes and the other half the couch is like my, you know, where I'm like, this is crazy. Uh, but it really was like, it was such a wild experience. And it went by, the sad part is it went by so fast. And my biggest regret, and I always tell this to younger players, is you gotta enjoy where you're at mm, today. Yeah, because if moment. you don't enjoy where you're at today, you won't enjoy wherever you're trying to get to. Even if you got yeah, it, you're gonna yeah. set a new goal. Like you gotta live in. I always told myself, as long as I make it to, yeah, as long as I make it to the NBA, I'm good. I don't even need to step on the floor. Then I get to the NBA, I'm like, no, hell no, like this is not fun at all. Like I need to get on that floor. And then you get on the floor, and then it's all about proving yourself, and then it's all about all about staying there. And so, if you're not learning how to be content where you're at today, you won't be content when you get to your destination. And that's what I had to learn the hard way through insanity. Talk to me about off the court life um just as far as the notoriety on sports center celebrities you know like i said that's everyone's are at those games what were some of the one well, maybe one or two of the craziest things that happened to you kind of in your personal life because of how good you were playing during that span first off the crazy thing was just like a ton of hotels and, and places were just like hey uh hitting the knicks up like hey does he want to i know he's on the couch does he want to stay here uh it's ten thousand dollar rent but we'll give it to him for free and parking and so I was just like, uh, yeah, 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 let's go. Uh, when? Yesterday? Uh, I'll sign the lease. And then, uh, and then there was like another opportunity where it's like, hey, come sign some photos, take some pictures, and we'll give you a BMW. So I literally did 30 minutes of work and I got a BMW for the rest of the season. Right. Um, but it was just like, 
it was just like that type of stuff. Like I remember one time Jared Jeffries, Landry and I we went to eat and like there was like a window and it was, you know, there was a street and a window, but like my back was faced to the street. But I guess somebody saw me and when I turned when I turned back or when we finished eating and I turned back around, like there was like 50 kids from the school next to next to the restaurant and paparazzi wow. and stuff like that. And for me, when I get recognized, even by one person, like I'll get nervous and I'll start sweating. Like <laughs> that New York experience, I was just like, I mean, there are people somehow knowing where I lived and dropping off cakes and like people like knocking on my door and I'd open it thinking that it was like the ice, you know, people bringing up ice and then like, it'd be a fan. And then the fan, I'll try to close the door and the fan would like put their foot in the door and be like, no, like I'm not letting you close the door until you take a photo with me. Like stuff like that, like it was crazy. So you got a chance to battle uh, my teammate at the time, Kobe. Um, he had 34, you had 38. You guys beat us. But as I was saying earlier, that was a night where he guarded you, I guarded you, Fish guarded you, Steve Blake guarded you. None of us could do anything with it. And we were just like, what the fuck? Like, we were, like, really mad that you went out there and hit some big shots down the, end the, uh, down the stretch to win. What do you remember that most, that battle about Kobe? Um, I mean, I think the, the thing that I remember the most about, about that game, or specifically about Kobe, was just, he never looked worried. Like, we were, we were in control the whole game, and he had a terrible first half. Mm -hmm. He ended up with 34, but he never looked worried. And I was like, what's wrong with this guy? Is he like a robot? You know, like, I was like, oh, I expected him to get mad or to get, you know, everyone knows it's a, hype, a huge, like, hyped-up game. And it was just like, he was just like, the whole game. And then he started hitting, and then in the third quarter, he hit, like, five five jumpers in a row. Landry's plastered all over him. He's hitting all types of fit. And I'm just like, okay, like, if we're going to win this game, it's going to, it's not going to be because we're going to stop him because he's going to get his shot and it's on him whether it goes in or not. If we're going to win, it's, we got to get more buckets. We got to get more buckets. And so um, at that time, you know, I appreciate it. You know, I remember getting ISO'd onto you at the top of the key, but at that time, you know, you gave me my right hand and your whole team was giving me my right hand, so I appreciated it. So they would get it, sneak in a couple just enough to be able to squeak out a win. Um, but yeah, I just, I remember the that arena, like I remember hitting a baseline three and that's yeah. the loudest I've ever right, heard Right by our arena. bench, right? That was right by oh our my bench, gosh. that one? Yeah, yeah. 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 I and I was like, I've never, I mean, I've been in the Raptors arena when we were, you know, on that championship run, but that shot in that night, I was like, I don't think I ever heard an arena louder than that. What was the electricity like in MSG during this time? And what kind of zone were you in? Man, uh, I mean, it was just pregame warm-ups. Like I said, like, I get, I, get, I, I get nervous when one person recognizes me. Like, pregame warm-ups was like, it felt like a game because there are so many people already there. There's so many reporters. Every time I do anything, I'd be doing there, doing my stationary ball handling, and, like, 10 reporters would, like, run over, or 10, like, photographers run over and be taking photos. And it was just, like, it was too much. Um, it was, it was a lot. Like each day, each game felt like three days. Like it was mm. so mentally exhausting mm. for me again, like not knowing what it was like to be in the spotlight, never really having one and not understanding how to, I'm not saying enjoy it. Like, I'll, like, I'm not by nature, like 
oh yeah, everyone take a picture of me. I'll never be that personality, but how can I enjoy it in a way where it's like, I'm comfortable. I don't feel like I have to be who everybody manage else it. wants me to be. Yeah, like right. you manage it. Right. And then you, you mm-hmm. take away the positives without letting the negatives destroy your entire experience. And that's where for me, like, I always tell the story, like three weeks later after my breakout game, we we're in Chicago about to play D Rose, uh, the MVP D Rose, and I couldn't sleep. And all that anxiety, that pregame anxiety, can't sleep, can't eat, all that came back because I was just trying to be who everybody else wanted me to be. Mm. And like, that is just not like, that's not a meaningful way to live your life. And so it's it was finally realistic. getting to me, even though I was on the top of the mountain. Exactly. I mean, that's one thing about you guys, right? Even like, even like, I mean, this is a hilarious story, but like I grew up a Warriors fan. And so when I was watching you guys do what you guys did, uh, you know, we believe in all that. You know, I remember even when I talked to Monte, he was like, yeah, like we were, we would party before every game, but then in the playoffs, we like, we stopped partying and then we didn't, we're playing and then we started to lose and we we're like, bro, why don't we just start partying again? Like, you know, I'm not saying like, <laughs> I'm not saying no, everybody go party, but that's what I'm bad. saying is there was, there was something about you guys that everybody could tell like, okay, it doesn't matter if you're the AC, doesn't matter who you're going, going up against, whether it was Dallas, whether it was Utah, it didn't matter. Like you guys were like a band of brothers and you were unapologetically you guys. And that brought the best out of you guys even if it wasn't a championship, right? And I think like, that's something that I had and have to continue to learn. And that's, again, part of the Asian stereotype or the Asian stigma of like, oh, we just try to fit in. And it's like, no, man, when you play professional basketball against the best players in the world, there's nothing that you can do. Like you cannot come in with a fit in type of mindset. Mm -mm. And if you want to stay at the top, you cannot come in trying to just, just fit in. Absolutely. Jack, you know, that's one thing I forgot. We did try to stop being us. The fuck were you doing? Man, I forgot we, about we, that till he said that. Cause remember, we went like, yo, we got to chill out. Let's lock in for the playoffs. Remember that? I wonder. I wonder who said that. I know it wasn't me. <laughs> definitely, hey, definitely wasn't me. <laughs> I know it wasn't us. <laughs> it wasn't us. But hey, one thing about it, man, you are your best self when you being your authentic self, man. That's just you. how it is, man. We right. one thing about you. us, I think that's one people that's one reason why people love us because what you see is what you get. We're not putting on the uh, we not putting on the face. And you didn't make it being somebody else. You made it being you. So, you know, man, that's that's how it should be. Uh talk to us a little bit about the situation there with Melo getting an opportunity to play with Melo. Obviously, him being at home playing there. Once you started doing really good, you know how people do, just how they try to do Stefan, Stefan uh, Monte. They try to kind of low-key put you against him. But what was your experience and your relationship like with Melo when you guys got a chance to play together? I mean, you're, you're spot on. Um, it was, it was, and again, at that time, I'm like 22, 23. I, I barely know how to answer an interview, like a, a reporter's question. And then next thing you know, the New York media, it's like, it's like, oh, that's, Oh, that they they took it that way. Like, whoa, you know? And so for me, like, just learning the ropes of, like, how all that came to be. Like, I never had any personal problems with Melo. Um, like, we had a lot of discussions about basketball. A lot of times with me, him, Stat, and, and T.Y., uh, Amari, and Tyson Chandler. Uh, like, it would be us four talking about, like, okay, what does it look like to win? Da-da-da-da. Then I got hurt. And then all three of them were reaching out to me, like, telling me how to, you know, come back from a meniscus tear and how to, you know, manage my body. And, you know, that was just a situation where, like, I don't know, like, I 
to this day, I'm not sure what happened. Like, do we get killed from the outside in or do we kill ourselves from the inside out? Mm, Like, I don't know. You know, like at that time, no one told me anything. I was so oblivious to the world. And like, I remember even times when like I would get questions and, and calls from the higher ups you know, in the next organization, they'd be asking me, they would ask me these questions. I'd be like, why am I? And I would just answer them. And I'm like, wait, that doesn't, why am I telling them that? Like, I, I didn't know, you know, and, and it was just like, I didn't know how the game was played. And so for me, like, um, you know, to this day, I don't even know, like, I can't even give you a, like, I don't really have closure with that situation, to be honest. Like I have closure in one sense in terms of like, when I went through my, you know, and I got the help with my mental stuff, I reconciled across the board with all the people that could have hurt me and those types of things. But like, I don't actually know what happened. You know what I mean? Like I'm actually reading a lot of what happened. I'm reading from the news or picking up bits and pieces years after the fact in an interview that somebody said about something. I'm like, oh, okay, so that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was just, uh, I mean, again, like, I kind of blocked that out because I, I, I think of insanity now with like a really happy memory. But the ending that we, we had was, I mean, it was sad. It was really yeah. sad. But I think the fact that they reached out to you at your lowest moment, normally when athletes are hurt, that's our lowest moments. And the fact that they reach out to you, I think that kind of shows a lot because, you know, I mean, as you know, you had to learn the hard way. The media is only there to do one thing and that's cause destruction. Very rarely do you hear a good story, a happy story, a feel-good story. It's more about creating division, and it's crazy to think like they're trying to create division amongst their own team. And, yeah. and, and, and New York is not the only media. Media media does that in general. So, like I said, I think the fact that those guys, you said those guys reached out to you when you got hurt to kind of, you know, for a shoulder lean, I think that says a lot about who you were in that situation. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and media is like negativity sells, right? I mean, we know right. that. And so it's it's just, you know, and that's why, you know, now with social media, even what you guys are doing, you have your own, you have your, you're, you're controlling the narrative. So you can, right. you control what you want to talk about and you tell the story the way you want it to be told. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, you know, we, that's the one thing we kind of take pride in is, is for an opportunity like this, you know what I mean? For you to tell for our guests to tell their stories without it being like well let's try to pick something and flip it or do this like that's it's crazy it's unfortunate that's what media is about and i think that's why we've been successful is because we just want people we want to show people the other side of you know their favorite athlete or their with their favorite celebrity and, and 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 there's no hidden agenda behind it you know what i mean so people come here and speak freely because they know that's what kind of environment we've created <clears throat> Yeah, that's what I wanted. I'm not even gonna lie. I'll say it very honestly. I was pitching you guys. I was like, "Dude, get me on all those things." <laughs> Hell yeah! So we appreciate that. What do you think could have been had if you was able to stay in NY? It would have been so nice, man. Like, it would have been, and, and that's the thing too. The weird thing, and and uh, D'Antoni also left shortly after too. But if we had kept the whole squad together, like we would have been really, really good. Um, like. At that time, it was just like, I mean, Amari was, you know, a, a, the, you know, 28 to 30 a night. Melo was an easy, like, fresh out of Denver, like, Killers. the most lethal, the most Killers. lethal, like, yeah, Killers. mid-range, ISO, it's over. And then, and then Tyson, I mean, we had all the pieces, we had the system, we just needed a little bit of time for people to stay healthy and for us to be able to figure it out. But we never got that opportunity. And that's, you know, always, you know, that, that will always be a huge what if to me. It'll always be a huge what if. But, you know, a lot of stories, a lot of careers, 
you know, have that. But man, that one, that what if, I'm like, dude, we could have had a lot of fun. What yes, could have, should have, would have, what if. Um, so, like you said, you're not really sure how it ends, um, but you land on your feet, headed <clears throat> to Houston with a, a multi-year contract making you a millionaire. Before, but outside of the basketball part, you know, you, what we've kind of got is obviously humble beginnings. You, your parents did what they could to get you in basketball, to, to, to take care of you. Like you said, when you were on your Harvard campus, you didn't venture out much because you didn't have much pocket change. So now you're sitting here, you sign a three-year, $25 million deal. What kind, what, what was your first thought or feeling when it came to you and your family um, after the journey you've been on? When I graduated from college, um, like I was ready to go and do the pre-draft thing. And, I, and my mom and dad, they knew that I wasn't eating uh, until I was full. Like they knew that I was trying to save money. So it was just at that time, it was like $5 Subway footlongs, uh, you know, and, and that's what I was trying to feed myself. But I wouldn't eat till I was full to save as much money. And my mom said like, hey, um, I'm giving you two years to chase your, your basketball dream. Don't worry about where the money came from. Um, it wasn't until, you know, a couple years ago, actually. It wasn't until I was 30 years old when my mom finally told me she said that money came from my retirement, my 401k. Mm. And so, like, that's when I say, like, my parents gave everything. Like, they, they right. put themselves through so much debt. My grandmother paid for one year of tuition for me at Harvard. And so when I landed that contract, to me, it was just like, dude, family first. Like, right. without a doubt. Like, uh, to this day, like, right now, I'm in my parents' house. And so I don't even have my own place. And, and it's just... You know, it's always been something that's all about family first. And uh, and to be honest, when I got that contract, it didn't even feel like it was mine. Mm, mm, mm. That's deep. Right. So your right. first season with the Rockets, uh, you play 82 games. Um, back when 82 games was what you were supposed to play. Mm -hmm. um, similar stats. What was it like in that new surrounding? I mean, you're in Houston now. Uh, I'm not sure who is. Is, is Dan Tony the coach there? Is that when he got no, there? At that time, it was Mikhail, and then, okay. you know, we just picked up Harden, too. And, and Harden oh, okay. was, like, the OKC Harden, and then mm -hmm. he became, like, the Harden Harden, um, where it was just, like, you know, ridiculous. And so I got to witness that and be on his team for that first year. Um, but that was tough, man, like, because the ball, you know, for me, at that time, I only really knew how to go right and play the point guard position. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, I need to work on my shooting, my off-the-ball cutting. I need to work on my defense. I need to work on all these aspects of my game that I never had to. And that took me, you know, three, four years until really, I would say, Charlotte was when I got to a place where it was like, I'm going left, easy. Uh, I'm playing great defense. I'm one of the top defensive-rated guards on my team. You know, for, for the rest of my career, I was one of the top. You know, I, I felt like I picked some up defensively there. I felt like my shot came a long way, but it was like in Houston, it took those two years in Houston and that year in LA to really, really work through a lot of that. What was it like seeing uh, James's transition? You mentioned OKC James to Rocket James. What do you think changed and made him Rocket James as you can see like day-to-day -day being your teammate? And what was that like? More attempts. <laughs> <laughs> The biggest, dude, the biggest thing, and this is why I, I'm going to keep going back to the mindset, but, like, he wanted it, and he knew he could do it. Like, when he showed up, it was like, when he showed up, he knew what he, he, knew what he wanted to accomplish, and he knew what he, who he wanted to become. 
And that's what I felt from him. That's what I saw from him. And so it wasn't like, hey, I'm here and like I'm 16 a night, you know, and, and I'm hoping to take the next step. It's like, no, this is my team. This is my everything. And like that's and, and, and for me, you know, my biggest regret about going into Houston was that like I was like, no, don't put me on the billboards. Don't put me on, don't put, don't, don't put me in the promotional. Don't, don't, you know, like, I was just like, oh, I don't know. I haven't proven myself for long enough yet. And it was just like a, a differing viewpoint or differing mindset coming in. And so, you know, I actually learned a lot from the confidence and the work ethic that, that James really exuded. I mean, I worked really, really hard. Don't get me wrong. Like, but it was still like, again, it was that concept of like, let me just feel it out what it's like to be a franchise player. Let me just feel it out what it's like to, you know, and, and that was, you know, not not ideal. You must have forgot that in Houston. What was it? They, in Houston, they used to have Asians on the billboards in Houston. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, you must you, you must have forgot. Like? Was it, the, was the, it the Rockets tough? are used to that, man. The Rockets are used to having an Asian on the billboards in front of the arena, man. You got it. You, you, you should have been at home. No, I mean, I mean, it's not about, <laughs> it's not about, it's not about who... It's not about whether there was an Asian on the billboard. It was the fact that it was me on the billboard that I was like, no, yeah, I that's what I'm saying. Right? You should have felt that home. Do, it had nothing to do with you, race, you but you should have I mean, felt home because but y'all, y'all had opened the door for you, so you supposed to come in and pick up where y'all left off. You and, that, feel... and that's my, that's why I wish I did it better, right? Like that's what right. I'm saying is like, man, gotcha. like, did you feel any of that pressure? Obviously, like I said, your guys' fan base travels well, but it's huge in Houston because of the footprint that Yao made. Did you feel any pressure? coming to play in, in, in a team he became a Hall of Famer with? Honestly, I, I didn't feel pressure from that end because I was already getting like, at that time, I, you know, the year before, I was the most Googled, the most popular person on the planet. And, and, right. and that's, that's where the pressure was really coming from, was just like, can he do it again? And da 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 and, and to me, like, oh man, I just wish I stopped asking the questions that everybody else was asking me and I started asking my own questions. Like, I wish I really, like, took control of like, look, this is who I am and this is what I'm gonna do and I'm just getting started. And, uh, and, and uh, man, uh, so it wasn't so much about, you know, coming in Yao's, you know, behind, you know, behind it in his shadow or anything like that. Yeah. I love it. So you're off to the Lakers 2014, 2015. Uh, you get there when Kobe's kind of battling and up and down through injuries. I tell people, you can play other places. You may even win other places, but there's nothing like being a Laker. Did you feel that um, coming in and putting on that uniform? Oh, for sure. And and it sucked because we ended up being the worst team in Laker history uh, oh. with the most losses. And uh, that was a dark year, man. That was that was a really really dark year in terms of just what we thought the expectations were going to be. Because at that time we also had Nash. So Nash goes mm. down before the season even starts. And then, uh, and then Kobe goes down midway through the season. And then, and then me, me and Kobe actually had like a good number of run-ins too, um, about, you know, about how we were playing and things like that. But, you know, a lot of it has made like the virality of certain clips of like him yelling at me, Nick Young and Jay Hill, you know, in practice or me waving him off in the game or things like that. But it was, it was a tumultuous year. Talk to us about some of the run-ins, because I, I, I've seen some run-ins. I want to hear what yours were like, because you were someone who had the ball in their hands as well. 
And obviously, there's an infamous clip of you waving him off. <laughs> but talk to us about some of the headbutting you guys had and what kind of understanding you eventually came to. I mean, you know, and this is, I've never told this story uh, to this day. Not, you know, but um, I'm like wondering if I should. The, I, uh, you could, you should. <laughs> all the smoke. All the smoke. Talk to us now. Yeah. At that time, he was coming back from injuries and then he was also going through some injuries, but he was like, he, you know, he was like 35 year old Kobe with a 25 year old Kobe mind. And so like he mm -hmm. had, he had it in him that he wanted to prove to the world, like all the reporters who say he couldn't come back from his Achilles or other injuries. Like he had this like, like intense level of like, I'm going to prove you wrong to the reporters. And so he was shooting like, you know, there are games where he shoot 45 shots and there are, you know, it got to a point where there are a few games where he had shot us out of the game. And, and uh, again, it was just, he was at a point where he was going through so many tough injuries at an age that his body couldn't keep up with the demands. And so right. that's where like me and the rest of the team, like we, we had different, different thoughts. And so I remember I would go head to head with him and we would like, because he doesn't sleep. Like he slept like two or three hours a night and then I would be up because we would lose. So when we lose, like I would always be up at like three, four and I would be watching films. So we'd be texting at three in the morning, four in the morning, like, oh, like no. arguing with each other, conflicting with each other. And it got to the point <laughs> where I was like, I told him, this is how it started. I said, look, you're, you're Kobe. Like I'm coming in trying to learn from you. Okay. So like, I'm okay with anything as long as you talk to me like like a man, like in terms of like, don't talk down to me like I'm a boy, talk to me like a man and respect me. And then, you know, he has always said like, you know, everybody just says what I want them to say. Like, it's very rare that somebody actually stands up to me. And so for me in that situation, as we were going back and forth, I finally had enough. That's why I waved him off that one time too. Cause I was like, you know, I've seen like, I don't want to go down this path again. We got to get something else going. We got to get some ball movement. But basically like after that text message conversation, where we were going back and forth with each other. Like we didn't speak for the last four months of the season. Like nobody knew, nobody on the team knew. But for me, that was like something I was willing to accept because I said what I needed to say to him. And if he didn't like that and he didn't, and he was like, I'm not going to engage in, or like, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I was like, all right, cool. I can, I can live with that. At least I said what I needed to say. On the flip side, there were times when I was younger in my career where things would happen to me and I didn't say what I should have said. Mm, right. You know, and, and, and that was what like, basically then you, I would end up getting pumped. But the cool thing about this story is we didn't speak for the last four months of the season. And then the next year was his final year. And that's when I was with Charlotte and I was playing really well. And in the middle of the game is when we buried the hatchet and we said, like, you know what, it's over. And so we started talking to each other. We were asking about each other's families uh, like we were before. And then and then even after the game, we started texting again. He was giving me some advice on my game. And my whole thing the whole time was like, I, look, I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying when you talk to me, don't talk down to me. And I'm ready to listen and I'm ready to try to help this team in whatever way is possible. And for me, that was a big step because... You know, again, growing up in the Asian culture, it's like, don't, you know, don't, don't step, don't step on the toes of, of the boss or whatever. But for me, I'm like, I got to a point where I was like, look, this is who I am. And this is what I need to do as a player. And, and I feel like actually him not talking to me, I feel like that was actually a sign of respect. Like he was like, you know what? I'm pissed at you, but I actually respect you because you actually said something to me versus like so many other people won't. And that's right. why the next year, the next season when I was in Charlotte, like he was like, 
I mean, we, we taught, you know, it was just like, it like never happened. And he was just like, hey, we're back to normal. How's your family? How can I help? What, what, what so advice sad. can I give you? And, and that was, um, and that was my experience with him. And, and I learned a lot and I grew a lot. I love it. I love it. That's a great story. Glad you shared it here. How did you, how did you land in Toronto? Uh, so I went through two straight years of injury, and then I ended up in Atlanta. I got traded to Atlanta. At that time, though, Atlanta, um, I had shown that I was healthy and I was picking up a lot of buzz. And so I had asked for a buyout because at that time, Atlanta was one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. And the Raptors uh, were really, really interesting. So they were, it was like right the day after the trade deadline, you know, that's when all the buyouts start to, to happen. And I'm in the middle of the game and I don't know anything about anything. And, and I'm just playing and Lowry's just like defending me. He's like, hey, man, you come to, you, you rolling with us? I'm like, what? He's like, <laughs> during the game? Yeah, during the game. He's guarding me. He's like, hey, you rolling with us? I'm like, no, man, what? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're coming over, right? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then it wasn't until after the game, I found him after the game. I was like, hey, man, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, like, I thought you were going to get a buyout and come hang, you know, come hoop with us. And I was like, oh, like, I haven't had that conversation with anybody. I didn't know you guys were interested. Uh, but that's how it started. And then I found out, like, yeah, Toronto was really interested in me that whole time, but everyone was waiting to see what happened in the trade deadline, and it never got to me. Um, and so I ended up asking for a buyout and then went to Toronto because that was a team, you know, they were a top contending team, and they wanted me, and they had a position for me. Yo, that's fucking dope. And funny at the same time, the fact that he, he's, I mean, obviously, you know, Lowry being one of their main players, he knows what the team is trying to do. So he's telling you during the game, like, yo, you coming to fuck with us? <laughs> Not even that. He's guarding me, man. He's guarding right. me. He's like, you're, you're with us, right? And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Demarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my dance, <laughs> Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break. And consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs 
programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. What was it like being on that team once you get there? witnessing the shot, becoming a champion um, for a franchise that had never won, kind of like an underdog situation, kind of like your journey throughout sports in your life. What was the culmination of all that for you and what did it mean? I mean, on one hand, it was so heavy. Like, dude, you made history. First Asian American ever to, to win a championship. Like, it was like, there was a weight of like the, the, what that moment meant. And I, you know, I had gone through insanity. So at that time I was trying to really embrace and soak everything in because a lot of times when you accomplish stuff, you don't realize what you did. Like, I don't think you guys realize what you guys did for the Bay in that moment, right? Like you were just like focused on the second round. But like then years later, you're like, oh my goodness, like that impact that it had, like I didn't realize it at that time. That's what I was trying to avoid. So on one hand it was like, wow, let me just soak this in. Like this has never been done before. On the other hand though, it sucked because I was DMPing. And that's mm. actually the start of when I realized like, hey man, I have some mental, I have some mental like trauma that is not right. Because when I got to Toronto, I had 10 games to be able to solidify a position and to really like work into the rotation. And the biggest knock on me then was like, oh, he just gets really down on himself when he misses his shots and stuff like that. And so, like, it was, like, for me, it wasn't about skill. Their assessment of me was, like, oh, it's about, it's about his, where he's at mentally. And that's when I realized those two years of injury, like, they were having some real effects on me. That, that, that year in L.A. or the time in Houston, the time when I went from the top of the world, literally the top of the world, to, like, I lost my starting position. Then I started losing playing time. And then I lost a lot of fans. And then I lost a lot of endorsements. And then all of a sudden, you know, like, that whole downward and then I and then I finally get you know in a great position and then I get injured you know like that whole thing like really weighed on me and 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 Toronto's when I started to see the cracks in the foundation and so from one end it was amazing and on the other end it it really hurt and that's the last time I ever stepped foot on an NBA floor and I haven't been able to I mean I haven't even been able to get a, a training like I've I've said like hey I'm gonna come as a non guarantee. I will come on a 10 day. I will come in training camp and fight my way. I will give me any opportunity to prove myself. I have not been able to t- step foot in any NBA facility since that time, even though for me mentally, I've, you know, I'm in such a different place. And even in the G League, I killed, I absolutely killed in the G League. And I still can't touch an NBA facility. And that to me is what's heartbreaking is like, man, that championship, that's the last time I ever got a chance to really, you know, be a part of the NBA. Um, and, and where I was then and where I am now, like I'm a whole different person and a whole different right. player, but I don't get a chance to to show that. And that's what right. that's what is like the bittersweetness of it. Man, we're hoping you get an opportunity to, like you said, there's still some time here. And then uh, if not this season, next season. But it's it it's crazy because that mental state of mind is absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. I mean, Jack was a killer. Jack didn't give a fuck how many shots he missed. He was going to keep shooting, but it takes a certain type of mindset to get that. 
You know what I mean? And be able to. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is just all the ups and downs that come. Like listening to your story now and getting to know you better during this interview, like you've literally been to the top of the world. And then you literally just told us now you can't step. You haven't had an opportunity to step on another NBA floor, you know? And since you won a championship, so to be as high, the most Googled person, you know, to 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 go head to head with Kobe, beat him at the Garden, to talk, you know, going back and forth with him, like you've really seen all the ups, downs, in betweens, and I think the fact that you're still here and kind of getting better, as you said, mentally, is the most important because there's probably several times, you know, that could have been enough for you. You know what I mean? Like I said, you've seen everything, man. So we just want to commend you that, you you know, you you stuck this fucking thing out, man. And, and God willing, you get another opportunity. But even if you don't, man, at least your mental health is stable now. And I think that's what's most important. Yeah. And, and seriously, man, like I've come, it, it's gotten to the place where like, I'm like almost coming as a beggar. Like, I'm, you know, I've talked to, you know, GMs. I've talked to, you know, owners. I've talked to you know, the commissioner, I've talked to max players. I mean, I've been like exhausting every opportunity just to get a chance to prove myself. That's why the G League bubble, when they said they're going to have a G League bubble, I was like, all right, let's do it. I just need to show you guys. I mean, I've been in this position for the majority of my life of just like trying to get my foot in the door. And, and then like, and that's, and that's like something that's so interesting about it is like, I've seen both ends of the spectrum Right. And so now it's like, man, it's like, I'm in a great place mentally and I just want to enjoy it, man. Like, I just want to enjoy everything about the journey because one day, like, I mean, you guys know, like everybody always told me it goes by so fast and it really, really yeah. does. It really, really does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you once mentioned um, Steph and Westbrook were some of your toughest guards. you have any stories um, matching up against either one of them? You know, because I knew Steph personally, so there was never like, you know, any, a, any, you know, we've always had a lot of respect for each other. But the one story that I always tell about Steph that like, why I say he loves the game so much is my rookie year. Like, Steph was going through all types of ankle injuries, and we were playing our 82nd last game of the season. And at that time, they were giving me playing time because we were already a lottery team. And Steph had rolled his ankle the day before and he was like, could barely even walk. And he literally like hobbled on and played the last game of the season. And I was like, well, one, I was like, why are you playing? Like, give me some, like, let me get my 35 minutes tonight. <laughs> but, but on the other hand, I was just like, dude, like, that is intense. Um, like, you love the game. Uh, in terms of Westbrook, like, we've never had, we've never had run-ins, but like, the way that Westbrook looks at me, it just... I just, it just made me feel like he hated me. And uh, I've never spoken to him. Like, we, we talked in chapel and stuff, but just like, and it's the way he looked at everybody, where it's just like, we would talk in chapel and be like, oh, what's up, you know, like, and pray for each other or whatever. And then we get on the floor and then I like go to like dap the other team and then I'll dap him and he would just be like mean mugging me and everybody else in the world. And I'm just like, oh, he, he's just like, there's a switch for him when he starts hooping. Like, he hates everybody. Mm. <laughs> just the way he moves. What do you think of Steph and uh, Russ's growth and amazing performances this season? Uh, I think I think Steph is just doing whatever the hell he wants right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're just looking for him every possession, every split second. He'll 
he'll have three opportunities or he'll look for shot three times, not get it. And then he'll just get out, you know, pass it. And then everybody will go set a bunch of screens for him. Like he is literally changing the game, man. Like that's happening in front of us. He's literally changing the game. Like I hope people can appreciate it. Um, And then with Westbrook, like, I mean, I just don't understand why he's so, it's hard to say like that an MVP is underrated, you know, but like, right. Do people do people realize what he's doing? Like, they don't. They don't, they don't get they don't. it. Do, they do don't. you know how many games it would take for me to get twenty one rebounds in a game? Like that probably takes like ten games for me to get like twenty one <laughs> rebounds. Uh, like, he's but that's normal for life. like your numbers are normal for a point guard. Point guards get two or three rebounds a game. Like this dude is going out there and grabbing plus twenty rebounds, plus twenty assists. Plus twenty points, it's just, it's insane. But he makes it look easy, so I think people don't appreciate how hard it is. And, and and they don't appreciate like it's like when you've been doing it for longer or like for a long time, they just get used to it. Mm. And it's like it's like okay, Steph Steph hit eleven threes or had forty nine points in twenty nine minutes. Like, look, man, that's not normal. Even if it's normal for Steph, like that's right. just not normal. Right. Like, don't talk down on these players. Or like even with Westbrook, it's like he just tied. The big O for triple doubles, I think, or something like you know, yeah. it's like, right, dude, like this is history. Like right. the, the most recent crop of players in in the last like five to ten years have just absolutely shattered some of the existing like records that have lasted for decades. Like, and, and so it's just we have to keep in mind when we're talking about it. Like, dude, this stuff is revolutionary. Like mm-hmm. what LeBron is doing, like people will, like. They need to appreciate that. And, like, I think that's something that we saw with Kobe where it was just, like, when when he's gone, like, you appreciate him more. But, like, did he get all the respect that he deserved mm. earlier? While right? he was like, here. No, he did. Yep. And, he did. And, and, that's a lot of, and that's a lot of these players, man. And, and, that's, and that's actually what makes the narrative. I mean, I think even MJ, when I watch and, and think about what he went through, like, went through a little bit of that in terms of, like, younger in his career it's like we didn't know like how good he was going to be and so there's always an element of like players are kind of underappreciated while they're in their primes mm-hmm. facts james one of them too james harden as well yeah um coming from linsanity to where the knicks um go back to or no i wouldn't even say go back just go back to the bottom of the league, seeing their rise again and, and, and what Julius Randle and these guys have been doing, Tibbs have been able to do. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Knicks? I mean, easily the biggest surprise. Like, I played I played with Julius Randle in L.A. Uh, that year with Kobe, and, and uh, I mean, he has come such a long way, and I love... Okay, so not even just that, like, Tibbs got fired multiple times, right? Like, Julius Randle went through a lot and kind of came out of nowhere. Derrick Rose went through a bunch of injuries. And it, and that's why, like, you can't really ever count somebody out. Like, you really don't know until, like, you. it's all about opportunity and timing. And so, like, it didn't work out for them in, uh, in previous situations. Right. But now in the right situation, as long as the player continues to stay confident and keeps pushing forward, like, you don't know what they're capable of accomplishing. And that's why I think it's so easy to just count people out, like across the board. It's like, oh, he sucked last year, so he's done. Like, it's like, no, dude, like these dudes are like prime. Like, the, I think for me, it's like, look at the players who consistently find ways to overcome hurdles or the coaches that consistently find ways to overcome obstacles. Like, 
Like there's something to be said about the persistence of like a pursuit of excellence. Agreed. Powerful mind. Coming towards the end, uh, we're going to switch lanes though and, and, and talk about What's been going on in the country of late? Um, these Asian hate crimes—you've—you've you've spoke on them. We've—we've we've witnessed them. Um, it's been crazy. What are your thoughts on just kind of where we are as a country and in and, and this particular uh, these these incidents that can continue to happen? I mean, it's it's really sad. Um, and I'll uh, I'll say like it starts with dialogue. It starts with empathy and listening. Like that sounds really stock, right? Like that sounds really like okay, everybody's saying that. But but really, what it looks like, what I'm saying is, when like when police brutality was happening, like at the height of the 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 like the the uproar. When Black Lives Matter, you know, all that, all those situations, like it mattered to me, but it didn't hit home. Like this one is hitting home right now, Stop Asian Hate. And I'm not saying that it has to be a perfectly equal experience, but I am saying like, I even learned a lot from like, hey, I need to have more empathy. Like I tried to do a lot of things in certain situations, but I still didn't have, like, I, I didn't really understand all of it. I didn't have the conversations that I needed to have. I didn't feel the depths of it. I didn't do enough research, like, and that's why, like, I think right now is like, if we're gonna really make progress, like each person has to look in the mirror and say like, where do I, like, where do I stand? Where, where can I help and where can I learn more? If we could all start with learning a little bit more, or talking a little bit less, or judging a little bit less, I think we'd be in a much, much better place. And and that's why, like, for me, like, now that it's really, really hit home in a different way, like, I'm kind of like, man, if I could rewind the tape five years, like, things would have looked differently. I, I would have done a lot more and done it much better and, and had a, a different sense of urgency because th these are real lives and real people getting stabbed, burned, killed, and... Uh, and we need more empathy. Like we we need to start talking in, a, in in a healthy direction. I think what you hit it on the head, and you have to, even because you'll never experience the exact. Obviously, every I'd say every ethnicity goes through something when it comes to minorities being killed, hated on, discriminated on, whatever the situation may be. But until you try to just not even walk a mile, like they say. Just try to, you know, just try the shoes on. See what it's like to understand what it's like to be in those situations. We'll never go anywhere because I think you said it perfectly. It's just like, you know, I understood and I supported the Black Lives Matter movement, but it didn't register with me like these Asian hate crimes do. You know what I mean? So, and I'm sure some African-Americans can say the same thing about the Asian hate crimes. Like, damn, that's fucked up. Why is that happening? But it doesn't hit home because we're over here getting killed by this, this, and that, you know what I mean? So I think until everyone takes a step back and, and, and wants to have more of an understanding of what I think minorities as whole we go through, we all have our own issues. Obviously, African-American issues date back to, to, to the beginning of this country and, and we continue to be killed and, and unfairly judged and all kinds of crazy shit. But there are other ethnicities that go through their version of what's tough for them. So until we all open up and have that collective 
understanding and dialogue will probably stay stuck in this neutral position. You know, when I came over, and this is the sad part, when I came over, all I knew, all I knew about, you know, African-Americans was what Hollywood told us. And so, mm. you know, for me, it was like every time, uh, you know, when we were growing up, you know, my parents, it would be like, if they're, if they're, if we a black person would walk on the street, it'd be like, oh, lock the door. Right? Like that's mm. all we knew. That's all we saw. It wasn't until I started playing. Once I got to elementary school, I had a lot of black teammates. Once I got to middle school, high school, I had a ton of black teammates. And then I started going to, you know, East Palo Alto to picking them up. And then they became like lifelong friends. And then all of a sudden, just by pure exposure, my, my perspective and my parents' perspective completely changed. And now it's like, like when I was with the Rockets, my mom was getting brunch with like Pat Bev's mom and James Harden's mom. And they became, they were like legitimate friends and like eating together. And it all came from exposure because you actually took a little bit of time to step in someone else's shoe, mm. shoes. And, and I think like that's the powerful thing and the sad, the, and the sad thing about it too right now is like, if we can't really get to a place where we're having healthy dialogue or trying to like listen, like, it's not going to happen because the truth is there has been racist things done in both directions, whether it's the Asian towards the black community or the black towards the Asian. Like that is true. Like I, even when I started playing well, like there are a lot of really hurtful things that were said about me. Even as I played in the NBA, there's a lot of things that, you know, I've experienced in terms of like, okay, the, the black community, I felt like, like, for example, one of my favorite athletes, like would always come to the game and help me and I had to confront him. And I was like, dude, you inspired me, man. Like mm. I drew from like you, like, and and they just hated on me, but had never spoken to me. I never done anything to them. And, and then on the flip side, like there's a lot of anti-blackness that needs to be addressed in the Asian community as well. And, and so I, I'm, and that's what basketball has done for me is it's put me in this middle ground where like, Man, I've experienced certain things from from black players or black teammates that like I'm like that really hurt me. And then like on the flip side, I also know that I've been a part of problem. Even what the the things and the stereotypes that I've had about certain people, like before I actually got to know them. And that ha that that healing has to happen through dialogue and through empathy. And you can't go into a you can't go into a conversation. On, on the defensive, right? Like that's not going to get it done. If you really want to go and have a real conversation and have your perspective expanded, like you have to go in from a place of empathy, like, no, for real, like, let me listen to you. Like, let me, not just for me, like I learned Asian American history and it made me pissed off because I was just like, why isn't this stuff being taught? And, and this is super shady. But then I haven't had, it, you know, I haven't gone and done the research. I need to really learn African American history or even like, you know, I'm not going to get into all of it, but just even tapping into the surface of like, the prison system or incarceration or the things like that and how systemic these things are like i had to go into these places to learn without any preconceived notions in a place where i'm really trying to listen and have empathy and not try to prove myself or defend myself like that has to happen and that's where real healing can can come and from the dialogue we'll start to have awareness accountability and change like that's how i've always seen it i completely agree you spoke on your time in the NBA and, and some things were said. You were recently called uh, the coronavirus when you're playing in the G League. But I like the road you take. You didn't necessarily call the players out in public. I think, if I'm not mistaken, you had a conversation with them and you guys sat down and had, you know, had talks. What was that like? Um, 
like I said, it's 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 been a crazy last two years. But what was that like? Just to kind of that kind of energy coming towards you on the court again? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and this is why I went a different route, right? Like, so you know, for me, when I was with in Brooklyn and I had dreadlocks, and there was, and I wrote a piece on appropriation, and um, and I remember when Kmart had said some things, and then I responded to him. And then me and him spoke it out on the phone and it was amazing, right? Like that reconciliation piece is amazing. But what is one thing that happened to this day? Like when, when Kmart will post stuff, he will get racist comments. He will be called the N word. He like, there will be things where people are really trying to take him down for something that happened years ago. And that's just not okay, right? Like that's not, we're not moving in the right direction if that's the case. And so that's why when this whole second situation happened in the G League, I was like, I'm not saying the name because I don't want this dude like having to deal with racist, like that's what I'm saying, the anti-blackness and stuff like that is like, so if if we're upset about certain racist things happening, where are we gonna do turn around and be racist? Like that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter what race you are. Like that's Mm -hmm. not solving the issue. So the whole point is about building awareness and then building up and learning how we can heal and go in the right direction. And and so for me, having a conversation with the player in the G League, we actually spoke and had a great conversation. He was like, I've been in the bubble, man. I don't know anything about what's been going on. I haven't been on social media. I'm just trying to get into the NBA. And then he's like, it wasn't until that that I started looking up all these things that are happening to the Asian American community. I'm so sorry, man. Like, I didn't know it was like that. And then I shared some stuff, but it was just, that was real, right? Like, and we really got to each other and we really learned from each other and our perspectives changed. Um, And and that's why, you know, I went that route. I commend you, bro, because a lot of people are scared to to speak on these type of subjects because they'd be afraid to offend people and say different things. But like you said, the conversation has to be had. And that's the only way we're going to make any type of way and get to where we're trying to go because we're all trying to get to the same place of equality. And, 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 and you just said something that touched me, man. It's funny you said that. A lot of people should never get to the point where it's happening to their own race to take other people's plight serious if you care about the other race. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and we, we should all care about each other equally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's one reason, another reason why we got to have a conversation. And we got to reteach. We got to reteach what we was taught. I was never taught or never heard my mom ever say, lock the doors when somebody come by. You know what I'm saying? Never in my life. And I lived in the ghetto. So, and now I, and I, I grew up in the house of love. And that's why I say me, you, me, you, Jay, me and everybody else who stand on the side of love, we got to reteach people. We got we, we to we gotta change the narrative because we can stand together. We all can stand in the same room and respect each other. But a lot of people wasn't taught that. We got to reteach people. That, that is money. Uh, I mean, seriously, because because to me, like, what's really sad, what's really heartbreaking is when we start to compare experiences. Like, oh, mine, right. mine looks like this versus yours look like that. And it's hard for me in this situation. Like, like, and for me, like, one of the situations I'm dealing with right now that I feel like I'm dealing with is, like, the glass ceiling, right? Like, it's this whole thing about Asians can't get to a certain place in their in, in employment and because right. there's a glass ceiling or the bamboo ceiling, as they call it, right? And so, and I can sit here and I can talk about that and then it's, but it's not my experience versus somebody else's experience because everybody's is different. And at the same time, if we talk and we compare and then we try to like minimize each other's experiences, what are we doing? We're just taking attention off nowhere. of what, 
we're taking attention off the real issue. Is a system right. that makes us feel that way. And so all of a sudden we're right. talking about how each one of us is hurt and how each hurt compares to the other person's hurt when we should really be talking about the system and what's going on there and how things need to change, which is what you're saying. Reteach what has been taught. Yep. I love that. We all, we all got the same goal. But if you think about it too, I mean, we're really all minorities here. You know yep. what I mean? So why are we at each other's throat, head, neck, when, like you said, the system in place is supposed to make that happen to, and we're falling right into the trap. Well, we need to, you know, unify, conversate, and move forward together. Because like I said, I think we saw, you know, we saw what happens when we unify. When we unify, it's scary. People get scared when we unify, especially if we're educated and we unify. It's just like, we've all fought to get to where we're at now and, and the world's finally listening. Like, what's next? Like, the next thing is to become unified and, and have a universal message for all of us because we're all in this yes, fight indeed. one way or another. Yeah, and that's, and that's, you know, that's why I wanted to be on the show, to be honest. Yeah. It wasn't to talk about my career or all the other stuff. Like, it's because, like, people don't realize, like, you know, like, there's so much to learn from me talking to you. And that's one thing that kind of feel bad about a podcast situation is like, I wish like you guys had the floor like two thirds of the time mm. because like, there's so much I can learn from you guys, right? Like, there's so much in learning and it, through listening. And like, I don't know, it's just everybody and, and you guys deal with it. It's like, oh, you're, you're, you're an athlete or whatever. And so like, they, they'll, oh, there's all these boxes that everybody's trying to put everybody in. But at the, at the end of the day, like it really does come down to like, having true, real conversations and relationships, and that's what's gonna change it all the way across the board. Like, that has to happen. Um, And so, you know, I'm like super grateful that you guys allow me to do this, and I know you guys want me to come down to LA and I couldn't make it, Um, but like, man. It's 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 amazing, and I hope you guys continue to do what you're doing, and and even the, some of the guests, other guests that you guys have, like it's awesome what you guys are doing. Hey, I, you know what? That. I got I got to tell this story now, and Brian would be mad. Brian from Showtime. This weekend, bro, we was at the Civil Rights Museum, mm-hmm. and uh, for Allen Iverson Classic, and there was a lot of people around, and there was this one Asian reporter, and he was nobody wasn't talking to him. So, uh, and uh, I think I, some kind of way Brian and uh, my photographer got it on camera, but I never posted it for no for no for no game. But I walked up to him. And I'm like, "What's up, bro?" He ended up driving down from Indiana, and uh, we I ended up talking to him, ended up exchanging numbers with him, and uh, and then told him man, anything he need as far as the Iverson Classic uh, to call me, and uh, I get him in anything he needed. But I'm saying that to say this is the type of world we got to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Of, of discrimination, you know what I'm saying? And this is why mm-hmm. I love being who I am because I'm going, I'm going to be the person to knock all this stuff down. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's, it's funny we talk about it because this just happened this weekend. That's crazy. You know what I mean? So this is the type of stuff that we got to knock down and come together, man. And I'm glad that I was able to, to, uh, to reach out to him and make him feel involved in, in that weekend because I seen how he was getting uh, uh, put, pushed out or, or kind of not, not being treated like every other, everybody else that was there. You know what I mean? And that's the stuff that we are still dealing with today. But all it took was you to, to extend your hand and your word. And it wasn't out. hard. That's what I'm saying. It wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. Yeah, and that's but the I think fact we that he had to, to go through that, is we still right. going through that today. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm going to say, like, how far did it go to where, you know, you find out he came down from Indiana, you guys exchanging numbers, but it just started with you out of just the, your heart. Just let me go holler at dude real quick. 
You mean because yep. I see what the, the fuck, what the fuck is museum, going on? So right. It was just it was just crazy the hey, whole situation, hey, man. Hey, MLK is smiling down on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, but Jeremy, on some real shit, I think you know we can talk offline, but maybe we can put some sort of like all the smoke roundtable together where we can get you know us yeah. us three and some some people who've either been affected by it or been a part of it or something. And, and like I said, continuing these conversations because these are the conversations that need to be had. And, you know, one thing we we pride ourselves on is versatility over here at All The Smoke so we can give you, you know, <clears throat> anything that's needed. So we'll definitely uh, further this conversation offline and, and see if we can put something together. Yeah, we can get Julius Edelman, Miles Leonard. We can get all them on too. It's a conversation that needs to be had. That. But no, I, <laughs> hey, I'm in, I'm in because uh, it means a lot to me. It really does, and that's why like being playing basketball like say like man, it saved me. Otherwise, I'd just be I would just be a Hollywood. I would just be listening to what Hollywood said about black people, and that is um, so crazy. like I just ba- yeah. If you guys actually make that happen, <laughs> like let me know because that yeah, would be we amazing. Will. We'll yeah. get your information. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll we'll talk with the team, but you know, if we should we should be able to knock that down. All right, now we're on to uh, quick hitters. First thing to come to mind, drop it off. If you can pick any four current NBA players to go play a pickup outside game with you, so you plus four, who would it be? Uh, it would be LeBron, Steph, uh, KD, and AD. You guys aren't losing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna pass and stand in the corner and there you go. Um, All right, give give me your top five most impactful Asian athletes of all time. Top five. Ooh. Um I mean Michelle Kwan, um Yao Ming, um Naomi Osaka. Um mm, nice. Hey, I don't mean, be ba- don't this- be bashful. You should be in there. No bullshit. All right, all right, all right. I'm gonna throw myself in there. But yeah. hey, does uh does what Bruce Lee did count as being an Absolutely. athlete? Absolutely. I was just Absolutely. about to say that. Sure. Hey, Him and Jackie sure. Chan, both they both athletes. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Hey, good call. I'm gonna throw. I'm, hey, hey, hey let, let, let me throw a name at him. See if he remembers. Minge Batur. No. He played with me for the San Antonio Spurs. He was nice. Yes, yes. On our cha- on the, uh, he was, he played for us. I think on the championship year he was on our team. He has a ring. Matter of fact, no, he, it was the year before the championship. But he played with us on the San Antonio Spurs. He was like six ten, almost three hundred pounds. He was huge. Uh, but but okay, he had okay. footwork. He had great footwork. He had great footwork. <laughs> hey, that nice. Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan. That was that was nice. Definitely. Yeah, those are those are cultural impact cultural impactors. Come on, man. The Drunken Masters top five all time. Cut it out. Better stop playing like y'all didn't see that. Jackie Chan is one of the best athletes ever. If you can relive one moment in your basketball career, which moment would it be and why? Man, I was originally going to say uh, <laughs> my favorite shot in my whole career was that baseline three-pointer in front of your guys' bench. But I was going to say that, but out of respect, Ooh. I was going to say the hold Toronto hold game winner. Matt, hold the Toronto on, game man. winner. Hold on to that one. <laughs> no, hell no, because uh, hey, when he said earlier that shot in the, I know exactly what shot he was saying. He said I hit a baseline jumper. I was like, no, you hit a baseline jumper right next to our bench in that corner. I remember that shit. I remember that shit. That shit was a dagger. Like fuck. <laughs> now you can say that first shot. That was dope. That's because it was your shot. Right. If you, you had one message on a billboard, what would it be? Empathy. 
That would be it. Empathy or hope. Either one of those. Because to me, mm-hmm. like going through the situation with no hope, like we're not going to make it through to the other side. So um, empathy or hope. All caps. Boom. Put some, put some nice whatever pictures mm-hmm. behind it. Bam. If you can host one guest on All the Smoke, who would it be? But before you answer this question, you have to help us with your answer. I have to help. I have to help you. What? Sorry. So what? Whoever you, whatever your answer is, you have to help us get that person on. So who would you uh, like to see on the? Sh- who would you like to see on the show? And if your answer, you have to help us get your answer. Ooh. So it's got to be somebody you know. I mean, I think it would be cool for you guys to talk to Adam Silver because Ooh. when I spoke to him and I had a lot of conversations with him, he was like so different and more normal and like just the way he viewed like very wise like beyond like what i expected far beyond what i expected or what like you know i had gone through the the lockout and so i had seen a lot of the the way that the mbpa and the nba had this beef but um that would be a great conversation i feel like i like that i never even thought about adam silver yeah, me neither. He, he texts me He texts me doing all his stuff the last year and have some real nice stuff. So uh, I would love to yeah. talk to him. Reach back out to him. Well, Jeremy, man, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, your run will never be forgotten. Like I said before, though, man, outside of all the basketball shit, it's good to see that you're you know you, you're mentally stable because I think that's what's yep. most important. Um, what you're doing in this social justice space, um, like I said, you had to happen for it had to happen to your people for you to understand. But to me, it's never too late to get an understanding or want to learn. So again, right. we commend you for that. And um, like we said before, man, we're gonna put some sort of roundtable together. So make sure we get your information. And uh, man, let's continue this conversation. But um, thank you for being on the show, Jack. Great show, Jeremy. We appreciate you. You can catch Keep us on Showtime. Keep leading the way, bro. Keep leading yes, the way, sir. Jeremy. All right, appreciate it. I'll reach out, try to get you guys' numbers. I'll shoot you guys a text later. Yeah, um, But good. yeah, no, appreciate that. Thank you. For sure, yes, for sure. You can catch us on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the iHeart platform, Black Effects. We'll see y'all next week. This is All A Smoke, a production of the Black Effect and iHeart Radio in partnership with Showtime. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know. What were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast.